already, it's already January 5th, if you can believe that. Um, it seems like just uh, not too long ago we were ringing in 2020, and we all know how 2020 went. And so uh, I hope the new year has been treating you all right for right now, and I pray that this year will be uh, the best year yet for you and your uh, family. Um, as you, we go to prayer tonight, we want to think about Pastor as he's preaching to the teens tonight. Uh, it's a pretty big evening for them. They're kicking off the new year with a youth vision night, and uh, pastor's bringing the message over there. We've got a good group of young people over there, and I uh, hope you'll pray for them tonight as they have their hearts challenged this year as they're transitioning, obviously, from um, Brother Eric McKay, and pastor's taking over the majority of the youth ministry over there, that you would be in prayer for him, and as they uh, have their service over there tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get right into the word tonight. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a wonderful um, start to the new year. We pray that you would be with the service tonight, Lord. Be with pastor as he preaches, and I pray that you would be with the teenagers over there as well as they listen to your word and are uh, getting excited about the new year and the, um, what uh, everything that what uh, this year will hold for them, Lord. And I pray that they would grow this year. I pray that you'd be with the message tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> and we'll read the first 11 verses. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. I'd like to speak to you this evening on, very briefly on the subject, temporary housing. Temporary housing. I don't know how many of you are campers. Uh, I'm not too much of a camping, outdoorsy type guy myself. How many of you like to go camping? Just curious. Okay, decent amount of people. I wouldn't say that I totally hate it. Uh, I think the last time I went camping, I was in California, and it was the winter time, uh, and I was single at the time, and there was a, a group of guys at the church that I uh, was invited to go with. There was about four or five of us went up to, um, I can't, uh, Wrightwood, Wrightwood, California, it, up in the mountains, and it was cold, and we packed up all our sleeping bags, our tents, our grills, cameras, food. Uh, and we went and drove up there in the mountains, and we pitched our tents in the snow. So that, that, that was 
it was really cold. <laughs> I'm glad my sleeping bag was warm enough to, to hold me there. But the, the couple nights that we spent there, it was great. I, I, you know, I love being out in the outdoors. I love being out hiking with the guys and just seeing uh, nature and God, what God has created out in the, the world there. The second night came, and it was a little better, but uh, by the time the third night was, was, uh, was coming on, I, I, was beginning to, I was beginning to think, man, it's going to be so nice to be able to go home and get a shower, hot shower, and sleep in my own bed, right? How many of you with me right there, right? At the end of a camping trip, you're, you're packing up everything, and you cannot wait to go home. I'm going to get a nice home-cooked meal. I'm going to put my slippers on, and I'm going to sleep in my nice mattress uh, at home instead of sleeping on the ground pretending I'm homeless, right? And so as I was reading through this passage here, I was thinking, this is kind of like a camping trip, right? Verse number one, it says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. And as we are on this earthly camping trip, all I can think about is one day we're going to pull up the stakes here and we're going to head home and be with the Lord forever. And number one, I believe we see here our mortal desire. God is preparing an eternal habitation for us. Uh, in John chapter 14, in verse 1, Jesus is saying to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Are you tired tonight? And I'm not just talking about physically tired. I think we're all a little bit <laughs> physically tired. You may be coming in from work, a long day in the office, or a long day out on the job site. But are you tired in your soul? Are you burdened tonight? Are you, is there something that you're suffering from? Maybe, maybe you're yearning for the day when Christ comes. You see, as Christians, we have a unique perspective on the world in that those who are of the world see this as the best that they will ever have, while those who are not of this world see this as the worst that they will ever get. We are not of this world. We are merely passing through. We are setting our tent here temporarily, and we're going to see God eventually face to face eventually when we die or uh, Christ comes back. He promises an eternal place for you, free from suffering, hate, anxiety, and dread. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to that day. I want to draw your attention to this phrase right here in uh, verse number, uh, uh, verse number, lost my spot here. In verse number one, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. This phrase, not made with hands, is very significant. Why is that? When you find something that is made and it's excellent or you want to figure out who made it, you ask, to your, you look at the label, right? You look at who made this? Is there a phone number here I can call? Uh, typically, when you see something out in the material world, you wonder, okay, who made, who made this? Who made this pulpit, for instance? This pulpit was made out of uh, metal, some kind of steel. It was welded together. Uh, who made the chairs? Somebody had to fabricate the, the chairs, the metal, the cushions. Everything that you see in here was made somehow with somebody's hands, right? Somebody's hands made this. However, there are things in here in this building, in this auditorium, that are not made with hands. And those things are our human souls. Only God can create a human soul. 
And when, when Paul talks about something not made with hands, I can only think about back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1 where the last thing that God ever created in the physical world was very good. And as soon as he takes his hands off of the creation, so to speak, and man gets involved and man starts putting his hands where he desires and reaches up and takes that fruit, all of a sudden everything made with hands now has become tainted. It's a sinful thing now. Everything that is made in here, I appreciate every hand that went into making all of the furniture and all of the painting and all of the uh, fixtures that are hanging here, but at the end of the day, everything that's made with hands now is a sinful hand. But we look forward to the day that there's going to be a place in heaven not made with hands. It is not man-made. It is God-made. God did not stop making things 4,000 or 6,000 or 10,000 years ago. He is making something right now, and he's preparing it for you. He's preparing it for me. He's preparing for everybody who claims Jesus Christ as their Savior. He is creating something for you. We are new creatures, yes, but he's creating a place in heaven for you. So um, God is preparing an eternal habitation for us. Uh, the next thing, though, we are burdened with this flesh in verse number four. <clears throat> we are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Back to our camping trip story, you, you can think if you've ever been on a long camping trip or maybe a, uh, a, a trip with some other people, it doesn't even have to be on a tent, it could be even been in a, a cabin, in, on a cot, or, or something, somewhere where you were just not that comfortable and you could not wait to go home. And we feel this. We feel this in our tiredness. We feel this in our soul. We feel this in our bodies. What is it? Why are we burdened like this? Do you have a big burden tonight? Do you have a small burden tonight? Hurting ones, physical ones, a, a spiritual burden maybe tonight? I don't know what your specific burden is, but I know that we all have at least one. I know that behind every smiling face tonight, there is a very real story. There's a very real burden that each of us carries. I don't know what that is tonight, but God certainly does. Paul had a burden. He knew better than anyone uh, what a burden feels like. He has a thorn in the flesh that he often um, refers to. He asks God to remove this thorn in my flesh, God. And God, what does God say to him? He says, my strength is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He's, Paul was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was betrayed. He was contradicted both by believers and unbelievers. Part of the reason he's writing these letters to these churches, <coughs> excuse me, part of the reason he's writing these letters is to combat heresies and falsehoods that have cropped up in the church from believers. Paul knew what it was like to be burdened in this flesh. Paul also knew what it felt like and what it will be eventually to be made complete. In verse number four, he continues the thought. <coughs> uh, for we are who are not, in, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We need to notice here that uh, Paul says here that our bodies will not be stripped away from us, but rather that they will be improved, perfected, uh, made complete. God does not just throw you out and create a new you, okay? Those saying, the, the old phrase, new year, new you, that's not, what, that's not what God does with you. He does not look at each of us and think, what worthless piece of trash. I'm going to toss this one aside and I'm just going to make a new one. No, he does not do that. 
what does he do? He takes you imperfect as you are, he remolds you, he changes you, he reshapes you into who he wants you to be. He takes you where you are. It doesn't matter who you are in this room tonight. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how evil or how bad you think you have it or have been or how good you think you are. God will take you no matter where you are and he'll start with you right here. He'll take you. He won't toss you out. He'll take you and just like that loving potter as he's shaping that pot, that vase, he is shaping you and molding you into the person that you need to be. You know, there's a word floating around nowadays. I, I heard this for the first time, I think, last year, and it's the word upcycle. How many of you have heard that word before? Upcycle? Okay. So I just thought there was something called recycling. And little did I know that recycling and upcycling, there's a difference between the two words. I, I didn't realize this, but it, so I did a little research this week. Recycling is taking something like a, a piece of paper or a soda can and reusing it for the exact same purpose. You take a scrap piece of cardboard, um, press it down, uh, uh, reprocess it, however they make card, remake new cardboard, and it comes out at the factory a brand new piece of cardboard, and they use the cardboard for something else, right? It's been recycled. <coughs> Aluminum soda can. They take it, they melt it down, they run it through a soda uh, another soda company, and it comes out a new soda can. Recycled. Upcycled is something a little different. It, upcycling is when you take something, be it a piece of cardboard or aluminum soda can, and you take it and you repurpose it for something totally different from what it originally was supposed to be. Um, so you take all the aluminum from the soda cans, you take it, you melt it down, and you create something out of it. Maybe you, uh, maybe, uh, you re shape it into a sculpture, or perhaps you make it into an aluminum table, a coffee table that's decorative, or perhaps you use it to uh, machine a, a, a something that goes on, on your car engine, like they make aluminum heads, right? It's been totally remade. It's been made into something that it was not intended for before. And when I think about upcycling versus recycling, I cannot help but think that God does the same thing with us. He does not merely take you and clean you up and here you are, here's your old sinful Go back and do the same things that you were going to do before. Keep living the life that you're uh, living before. You're saved now, but you can keep doing whatever you want to do. No, God takes you and he upcycles you. He's in the upcycling business. He takes you, broken vessel, he melts you down, and he repurposes you. You no longer have to go through that life that you were living before. <coughs> you no longer have to do the things that you used to do, the places that you used to go. You are a totally new creature. God is in the upcycling business. And so we have our mortal desire. But number two, I see God's eternal guarantee in verse number five. <coughs> verse number five says this. Now he who has prepared us uh, for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. I want you to listen to this uh, verse from Ephesians. This verse is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says here, In him you also trusted <clears throat> after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. If you do not know about eternal security tonight, I have good news for you. Once God saves you, 
God keeps you. You do not have to worry about ever falling out of his favor or out of his justification or out of his salvation. Once you have received Christ's forgiveness and God has granted his forgiveness to you, it's permanent. That, that guarantee, we use the same word in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He uses the same verse in verse number five. He has prepared for us this thing, uh, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. When you go and you put a down payment on a house, you don't get that down payment back if you back out of the deal. When you go put a down payment on a car and you pull out of the transaction, you do not get your earnest money back. When God puts his down payment of the Holy Spirit into your heart and you try to back out of the deal, God says, no, I'm in this for keeps. You are my child forever. You are, <laughs> your ability to sanctify yourself is just about as good as your ability to justify yourself. And so also is your ability to glorify yourself. God takes part and he does the entire justifying, the sanctifying, and the glorifying. Once you're saved, you are always saved. The Holy Spirit is our security. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is our security. But we also walk by faith while on this earth. Verse number six. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk with confidence now. Before you got saved, you could not walk with confidence. You walked with the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds. You walked with the uncertainty of where you would end up if something were to happen to you and your family. You walked with this uncertainty of your financial situation and your relational situations and your job situation. Everything seemed to be a little bit more worrisome before you were saved, but now that you are a believer, you walk with confidence. Our destination is sure. How many times have we heard this? This is the most important election of our lives. Or this is the most important discussion that we should be having right now. Uh, everything we see or hear right now is so polarizing. Uh, <clears throat> whether you look at news headlines, uh, YouTube videos, or blog posts, everything is supercharged with extreme rhetoric, right? You look at these articles and and they're nothing but clickbait, we know this, but sometimes you really want to click on this. It's the one trick doctors don't want you to know. You're like, okay, well, what, what is it? <laughs> and you want to click on it. Um, some of you still click on those articles. I, I've disciplined myself not to click on those types of articles anymore because I just know it's just nothing of any substance. But we see these kinds of things every day, don't we? Everything is, is so extreme. It's so important. I, I need your attention right now. I need you to click on this right now. I need you to watch this video right now. This is the most important thing that you'll see today. And as Christians, can we be thankful that we are not need to be concerned or frightened about any of these things? These news headlines that although we have lots to be uh, concerned about in the news, of course, this is not our final stop. This is not our final destination. We do not have to walk by sight. We walk by faith. <clears throat> are you a, uh, let's see, are you paralyzed with fear over certain things? Um, I know sometimes if I look at the news too long, I start, to, I start to overanalyze things and I start to just think, oh no, what direction are we going? And then I have to stop and ask myself, okay, I've spent 20 minutes looking at the news this morning. How much time did I spend in the word of God this morning? Are you paralyzed with fear over these certain things? I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, and I, I recognize that some people do suffer from clinical disorders, but... If you're not one of those people that have been diagnosed with something and you're still finding yourself continually in angst, 
or worried about something, I would ask you one question. What is your ratio of intake between the Word of God and social media? What is it? We seem to pull our phones out whenever we have a free moment or even when we don't have a free moment. And what's the first thing that you tap on typically? Well, it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or just, you know, something. Something to occupy my time. So many of us have in our phones an app that we only ever click on once per day, and it's the Bible app. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's usually only for about 15 minutes or however long it takes us to get through whatever that day's reading is. And then we don't think about it for the rest of the day. And we wonder why so many people have anxiety problems. There's <clears throat> there was a study done this past year, uh, and I can't remember which study this was. I looked it up, on, and several sources reported this, so I think the information is accurate. But over 40 million people in the United States suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder. Think about that. This is, that's 20% of our entire country's population. Some kind of anxiety, whether it's PTSD or ADHD or um, you get panic attacks when you're in large crowds or um, you get nervous or you, you just can't be on social media anymore because it's too much for your, mental, <laughs> for your mental health to handle so you've deleted the app. Some kind of anxiety, some kind of disorder. 40 million people. Do you think it might have something to do with the fact that everything around us is so polarizing and we spend so little time in the word of God? We spend so little time walking by faith. We spend so little time walking with Christ. Um, pastor said it on Sunday. He said, when was the last time that you actually did something by faith? That's a convicting question, isn't it? We walk by faith while on this earth. Uh, but not only that, we will be present with the Lord one day. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is a very famous uh, passage on the resurrection. <clears throat> you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But I thought it was so good. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Not only will we have a place prepared for us in heaven, we will have a body prepared for us in heaven. We sing the song sometimes, I've got a new body, praise the Lord, right? It's a song, it's a, it's a line from a really old gospel song, I can't remember the title of it, but the, the, one of the lines goes, I've got, I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. One day we will be with the Lord. He's preparing a place for us, but he's also preparing a new body for us. When you reflect on what Christ has done for you, and that you will eventually meet the person who gave his life for you, does that make you happy? Does that fill you with joy? Or is there something else right now that makes you more happy? Is there something that, is there, is there a hobby that you have or is there um, something that you like to do that makes you a little bit more happy to think about than the promise of a new perfected body one day with the Lord? 
God has an eternal guarantee that he promises to us here in 1st 2nd Corinthians chapter, <clears throat> chapter 5. And he promised it to us with the Holy Spirit. We walk by faith while on the earth, and then we will be present with the Lord one day. What news that we can rejoice in that would be worth more than that, if we just think about that each day. And then finally, we have a mortal desire, but we have God's eternal guarantee. And finally, we have our continual purpose. Verse number 9 in our text says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. <coughs> Notice the phrase, <laughs> whether present or absent. Whether you're alive or whether you're dead, your purpose is the same. And the purpose is to be well-pleasing to him. While I'm alive, my aim is to be well-pleasing to God. When I'm dead, my aim is to be well-pleasing to God. Our purpose doesn't change whether we're in the body or out of the body. Paul says, I'm not here to please man, I'm here to please God. So what you do at work, does that please God? What you do in your free time, does that please God? How you treat your spouse, <laughs> does that please God? How you rear your children, your entertainment, uh, your hobbies, your ethics, your giving, your worship, your service, does any of that please God? When, when was the last time that you actually asked yourself, before you did something just out of routine, did you ask yourself, am I, am what I, is what I am doing right now pleasing to God? What can I do today intentionally that will please God today? Or is every day just a routine? Everything about what you need to get done, uh, your comfort level, uh, what your family Think, <coughs> thinks of you and what you need to do for them. What about God? What are you going to do today or tomorrow that is pleasing to God? So our purpose is the same. We're to please God, but also we will give an account for our life in verse number 10. <clears throat> for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. When your uh, life is over and God sets you at the judgment seat, I visualize sometimes, I'm sitting there, and it's like a crowd of billions of people, right? And you're just sitting there, maybe for some reason I'm always on the front row, I don't know why. And I'm, I'm thinking through this, and God has a giant television, and he's, he's got there, he's got the remote in his hands, and he's like, all right, next, we're going to have uh, Life of Aaron Chan played, and, and he hits the rewind button, right? And... For some reason, my, uh, my brain is stuck in 1995, and I'm thinking of VHS player, and it's like, it's rewinding. <laughs> and you're looking at this video, and he gets to the beginning where I'm born, and he hits play, and it starts playing. And you're there, and, you're <clears throat> and you think, and you watch through these moments, and everybody is watching with you, your family, your friends, um, your church family, everybody is there. And how much of it do you want to fast forward through? How much of it do you, like, nah, uh, I'm, I'm just cringing right now. I don't, I don't want you to play that, God. Can you just fast forward that a little bit? Can you mute that part? Can, can you, uh, you can't, all right, well, okay, that was, that was bad. That was worthless. That was embarrassing. I shouldn't have said that. And this is only year four, right? So, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so the this time at the judgment seat when we all give account for ourselves what will your life look like no doubt all of us are going to have some wood hay and stubble we all have done things that we're not proud of we have idle words we have idle things that we've done we could have made better use of our time 
But hopefully, we will have some gold, silver, and precious stones left over when God lights a match to all of our works and he looks at it. And we'll have something to show for it. And as the song goes, by and by when I look on his face, his wonderful face, I'll wish I had given him more. We're all going to wish that we've given God more, but what are you doing right now that you can think, I'm going to give account for this one day. And is what I'm doing going to please God, or is it just pleasing myself? And finally, we must evangelize. Verse number 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we <clears throat> are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. What a great thought. We are well known to God. You may not be known in this world. There might not be a soul in this world who knows who Aaron Chan is. There, not, there might not be anybody in the world who knows who Dave Andrews is. But I know one person that knows who I am. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He lives within me. He's given me this life. He's given me a purpose. He's given me a family. He's given me a roof over my head, a bed to sleep in, enough food to eat. What is my purpose here? Now that Jesus is my Savior, what am I supposed to be doing? He says here, in a, in a concluding thought, that knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know that judgment is coming. We know that God is preparing to mete out his wrath upon this world. We know that in the book of Revelation, like three-quarters of the world population is just going to be wiped out through God's wrath, the, vine, the wine press of God's wrath. We must Work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> That's John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. You know, I was reading over that portion of scripture this week, and it's, it, it, it um, caught my attention because we're familiar with the phrase that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we, we think, well, of course, Jesus, you're the light of the world. But the implication of this is pretty deep because the subordination, uh, the subordination, I think that's subordinating clause before <clears throat> this phrase, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I thought, well, that's interesting. Obviously, Jesus is God and God is omnipresent, but Jesus was speaking specifically of his earthly body at the point right here. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what happened when Jesus left this world and took his rightful place at the right hand of God? Did the light leave? Did the light get snuffed out? No, of course, of course not. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus is addressing the disciples, and what does Jesus say? You are the light of the world. You know the word Christian means little Christ's or Christ-like. And Jesus was certainly correct when he said, as long as he was in the world, he is the light of the world. But once Jesus left this world to prepare a place for us, who did he leave as the light of the world? He left me. And he left you. The only light that this world has is the light that is shined and contained in our lives. How well is that light shining from you right now? There is an old song, and this is the final thing that I'll say. This is, there's an old song that we used to sing, and some of you may know it. It's called, Work for the Night is Coming. There are three verses to it. I'm going to read all three verses for you. In each verse, it's, it's a continuation of the day. 
So the first verse goes like this. Work for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling. Work mid-springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming when men's work is done. <clears throat> verse number two goes like this. Work for the night is coming. Work through the sunny noon. Fill brightest hours with labor. Rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store. Work for the night is coming when man works no more. So we've gone from the morning. We've gone to the sunny noon. And finally, in verse number three, he says, Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tints are glowing, work for daylight flies. Work till the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work while the night is darkening, when man's work is o'er. <clears throat> How is your work tonight? You may be in the morning of your life. You may be in the noon of your life. Some of us, we may be in the evening of our life. And that is not just the older folks in the room. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. For some of us, it may be the evening, and we could be 25 years old. We ought to work as if it is evening hours right now, with an urgency. There's a lost world that's dying out there right now, and sometimes all we can think about is what am I going to do to improve myself, improve my situation, improve my finances, and we give little thought to our neighbors. We give no thought to the mailman. We give no thought to the coworkers that we spend each day with. When so many of them are dying, so many of them would listen if we would just talk to them about Christ. We have a purpose, and it's continual. It is to please God while we're on this earth, and it is to please God while we're in heaven as well. Our mortal desire, we, we're on the last day of the camping trip. We're we're here, we, <clears throat> we can't wait to go home. Our bones are aching, we, our burdens are heavy, we're tired, we're cold, we're hungry, we're ready to go home, and God says, yes, I know you're wanting to come home, but I've got a guarantee for you. You've got the Holy Spirit, you've got my strength that's made perfect in weakness. Stay here and fulfill your continual purpose. Think about your purpose tonight. Think about what it means to you this week, and I hope that this these three thoughts from the book of 2 Corinthians have been a blessing to you, and I pray that we would take those with us this week. Let's go ahead and pray, and I'll have some announcements, and we'll be on our way. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to share.